welcome to the Daft Souls podcast. It's episode 79, and this week, sadly, it's just us again. That's just, not sad. I'm joking. I just want to get a reaction out of you. No, I'm happy. Be I'm s- happy as Larry. Be still my gaming heart. It's a shame. We were going to get uh, Kate Gray on because she's brilliant, but she couldn't make it this week. But hopefully we'll get her again soon. Damn cause, right. Because she's brilliant. Anyway, it's a really sunny day. I've been for a walk. I've uh, Oh, I'm spilling. <laughs> you just sloshed your tea all over you? I didn't, actually. I thought it was going to go all over my crotch. Do you remember in the early Daft Souls, I had a, a, a bit of a tradition of just dropping... Pe- peeing yourself? No, just dropping hot tea on my crotch. Or maybe it was a different podcast. I definitely went through a phase of doing that. Was it, anyway, was it nerves? No, just um, uh, gesticulation. Oh, you were getting too excited. Yeah, yeah. So that's me. I'm too excited. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good, man. I am happy... It's good. I have the. I, I, my mind is still on the game that I played this morning. What have you been playing? I have been playing uh, a game that is very popular on Patreon. You seem nervous about this. Well, I'm kind of. I don't know really what I'm going to say, so I'm just going to open my mouth and see what comes out, so to speak. Uh, so it was linked to me this morning that the single most popular, by some metrics, uh, Patreon project in the right. world is a video game. And it's a video game that you can play right now in alpha, and it's called Breeding Season. And basically, Matt, what it is... Just you looking for ideas of how we can jazz up cool ghosts. Man, I would not recommend jazzing up cool ghosts in this way because Breeding Season is basically a hentai game. Right. It's a hentai game combined with Harvest Moon. Now, I'm well aware that I often shift uh, Darth Souls in a sexy direction. Maybe I am more interested in that than you or our audience. So this won't take long, not least because the alpha is really <laughs> small as well. But Breeding Season is a cross between Harvest Moon... And, I guess, sex. And, like, hentai-style sex as well. So Sexist moon. Uh, it's mm. not... It's definitely not sexist. Or at no, least... I didn't mean to say that. It's just it was the only way it passed. So... <laughs> yes, sure. So, you know how Harvest Moon traditionally begins with, like, Hey, Matt... Your dad's died and you've inherited his farm. Is it like you turn up to the farm and like instead of having to go around and clear loads of rocks and tree stumps off there, it's just like loads of people around the land that you need to fuck? So uh, go away. You are startlingly close. But this is my point. Like <laughs> The reason it's successful on Patreon is it taps into a, a very common impulse, which is there are all kinds of sexy sort of monsters type things and you can hire them and you can breed them just like regular Harvest Moon. Or you can uh, have sex with them yourself because something that's very valuable, just like it is in real life, and Harvest Moon doesn't model this, <laughs> is the uh, semen of prized breeding stock. Oh, gosh. Guess how you get that semen, Matthew. Mm. I, You know what? There's nothing actually dirty about what I'm saying, but saying the word semen on Dark Souls... Slowly. Um, <laughs> yeah, saying it slowly is probably worse, isn't it's it? It's a thing, isn't it? I'll tell yeah. you what, it's not not sexy as well. Right, because he doesn't sound. That doesn't sound sexy. The art is pretty good for these kinds of games, and uh, because the Patreon has exploded, this ridiculous project that ordinarily I guess would be like quite a small weird piece of freeware has now been accompanied by like a, a top artist or a couple yeah. of top artists. Well, you see, this is what I was going to say. Is like so they're making about thirty five thousand dollars a month, mm-hmm. uh, which is more than paying for like a whole team of like four people. Yeah, that's that's yeah for a game development. That's pretty good. It, 
really is. And so we've got this interesting thing now of like, yes, it's ridiculous that this hentai game is being massively like overfunded. Uh-huh. But also, hey, this is this is exactly what Patreon was for. Turns out there is a big market for like top tier hentai games. And I remember when I was working on um, Rock Paper Shotgun. I did do an article, uh, basically, like, where are the sex games? Because mm. I know there's a lot of interest in it. Every time I log on to Steam, it tells me, hey, look at all these curators curating uh, sort of visual novel sex games on mm. Steam. And so I'm kind of actually satisfied to see gamers putting money where their pants are is, yeah. and getting this thing made. No, I mean, I'd like to see more of that stuff as well. Like, I've always said that, like, uh, there's nothing wrong with sexy stuff at all. It's just, it's kind of frustrating at the moment where you have this... Uh, subculture of people in games who were just constantly getting aggravated when kind of unnecessary weird sex stuff pops up in just other games. It's yeah. Like, that's why, you know, we should have more dedicated sexy games. Absolutely. So you no. can just be like, you want a sexy game? Go and play a sexy game. I'm with you, man. And like, I like Harvest Moon. I came around on Stardew Valley and while it wasn't necessarily for me for a couple of reasons, I really like what they did with it. But uh, I tell you what, rather than going to the shop and buying it, do you want carrots, do you want turnips? Uh, it's slightly <laughs> more buckets of semen would you like I mean say? you go to the like the breeding shop and it's like do you want this like sexy devil because th- we've got them in all these like different colours and sort of <laughs> haircuts and stuff or maybe you want a giant horse man with a very large penis <sighs> And then it's like the thing of being a kid when, you you know, like um, Nina Freeman's game of, I think it's called How Do You Do It? But it's like a game of being a little girl and kind of mashing two naked Barbies together. Right, yeah. Um, In that very childlike way of like, is this sex? It's very much, you are turning a peculiar shade of red. No, it's just going to rub my head. I'm okay. not embarrassed by this, honestly. I've got okay. regular features, it's fine. Good. Which head have you been rubbing? But no. <laughs> uh, so, no, Um, but it's, it's a fun thing of like, which of these like sort of quite well-drawn, like beautiful... Beautiful might be the wrong word, but like, which nude horseman do you want? And then you're like, oh, I could. So you have- get a wide selection to choose from. Yes, and then the way they've done the animations is, you know, there are special like animations and what I will uh, sort of not shy away from describing as wank fodder. When you mm-hmm. select which of the two animals you want to breed in your particular paddock, there is quite a long animation of you like clicking your way through a series of like increasingly excited animations before eventually the two animal slash demon slash you because you the farmer can have sex with any of your yeah, particular things obviously. yeah man just I'm, like real farms just like real farms you can have sex with anything you've got uh, <laughs> you own it it's yours yes ah oh, dark anyway um, yeah if that, this sounds like the kind of thing you want to support then uh, well it's kind of fascinating because it's the thing of like I was just thinking well hang on a minute like surely it's just it seems to me bizarre when you were like saying this has got such a huge amount of interest on paper yeah. To be honest, there is a massive um, like uh, subculture on Patreon as well of like uh, sex stuff. Yeah, erotica and stuff. Like, yeah, which is fair enough, I suppose, because it's just <laughs> because why not, <laughs> right? Of, yeah, because a lot of shops and stuff. I guess especially in America, where sex is uh, and sexuality is so tied to almost religion and stuff, it's very much mm. like kind of people going, "Well, we're not selling that in my shop." Yeah, this is it. A lot of businesses as well and big name publishers will not associate with sex. So yeah. like Patreon has actually provided this extremely good outlet for like the kind of porn that people want to see. Yeah. Um, My first question was thinking, well, what the hell? Like, why... Why is this, like, sex game getting so much attention? But I suppose it's... Maybe it's just that... I don't know. Man, it's it's honestly, like, pretty hot. It's like... I mean, so you do have all the Harvest Moon things of, like, upgrading the many different aspects of your farm and then, like, making money. And also, a thing I should mention is just like Harvest Moon, there is a village with a cast of people. There's a whole world of, like, you know, there's 
kind of monster breeders and uh, and man, it's weird. It's pretty weird when you because the first thing you do in Harvest Moon right is go to a village and then look at all the different shops and meet like the yeah. woman who works at the tool shed. So like, the, it's the sexiest high street you will ever go to because. All of the different people who work in different shops, and I would presume in the full game, because why wouldn't it be like as feature rich as they like, because they get so much money, you, I guess, have relationships yeah, with you, those dudes you, as well. Yeah. But it's like, you know, you go to the tool shop and it's this like huge slab bear looking dude who's like, <laughs> you know, who's there if you want him, I guess. Or, and then, you know, all the different like other things you could be into and like kinks and stuff are all represented on Trading the high street. And stuff. It's a bit weird. It's like kind of an analogy of Pokemon of being like, oh, it is Pokemon. It's but- my Squirtle. Uh, you look after my Squirtle. I've had sex with him. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what you know would you be surprised if I told you there's no shortest of Pokemon porn no on... I wouldn't be surprised of course you wouldn't uh, yeah so that's fascinating I suppose I'll tell you what I kept thinking about during that weirdly um, it was a game I haven't played for years I think it was because you were talking about like the um, there's a game I haven't played for many many years it's I feel not... about wait I want to men- did I did I mention actually what this game was called breeding for... yeah yeah you did okay it's called uh, you mentioned it again though it's Breeding something? Oh, God. I'm going to look this up very quick. No, cool. you said it. You definitely said it. Okay, then we're fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or you can also find it by searching for the top Patreon projects. Yes, yes. And um, there is an alpha that you can play right now if you do want to throw the money because maybe you want to do that as well. Maybe that's you. Yeah. Sorry, you were saying. Uh, I was saying it was reminding me, make me think of a game, makes me think of a game called Dragon Warrior Monsters. Mm-hmm. Now, Dragon Warrior Monsters wasn't a sex thing. It might, uh, <laughs> might shock you to hear. Okay. It was like... Um, if we could stay on topic, that would be... I'm fair. sorry. I'm sorry, Quinns. Uh, it was like a, a Pokemon knockoff, basically, but it was the dragon... Uh, I see you train sort of dragons and stuff. No, it was... Uh, what's the bloody series called? Uh, dragon Quest? Yes. Right. So it was like a Dragon Quest version of Oh, yeah, you bred Pokemon. slimes and... You bred slimes and dragons and all the different types of monsters and stuff, and there were so many different types of dragons, and you could crossbreed stuff. Like. Yeah, that's exactly what this is. So, like, yeah. in a thing that, again, Harvest Moon doesn't actually model of, like, what? You, and I've seen from, like, looking at the wiki and stuff, um, the artists are having a lot of fun with, like, what happens if I breed this, like, gremlin creature with the cat girl I've got? Mm. And then uh, and then actually, and then they have, like, a, a mashup of the art, and then, of course, you can breed that with something else, and then you increase its stats, and then ultimately you can sell it. So it's actually a lot livestock breeding thing and I would not be surprised if this ridiculous hentai game is the most robust animal breeding game full stop yeah. that has ever been made yeah that's the thing it's like I often think about this game Dragon Warrior Monsters I think it was on the Game Boy Color I believe because it was like I think they were just trying to get on board the Pokemon train but I remember it being like in many regards a lot shonkier than Pokemon like I've just said Pokemon in three different ways in about 10 seconds that's going <laughs> to infuriate people but it was it was still quite exciting. I remember the dungeons were. What was it? Were what format played. was it on? It was on handheld, Game Boy Color, I think. Okay. Um, but I just remember like the dungeons being pretty boring, but just the system of being able to like have grow these things in eggs and then breed them to get better stats, and also unlocking like new types of dragons and new things. And I just remember like it, the scope of like mystery of unlocking stuff because I think it was all just based on. Um, rather than catching things, it was just collecting things and then constantly crossbreeding to see what you can yeah. make. Yeah, and was that's very really, there's a, really cool. A whole genre of those games on iPad as well. But yeah, again, like similarly to how you know you can look at board games and and see loads of ideas that video games have never taken. I think if you look at the mobile space and you see how fun all this breeding stuff is and crossbreeding, mm. and then like getting a new animal and going, oh my god, what happens if I breed that with that? That's a funny one. Like if anyone's listening uh, remembers that game as well and wants to let me know whether or not it was actually good because I, <laughs> I can't remember. I must have been about 14, 15 or so when I was playing it you enjoy it yeah I loved it I mean it was like I kind of it was one of those games where I recognised it had tons of faults but um, I played it after Pokemon because I got Pokemon really early Okay, uh, so I kind of burnt out on it before it arrived in the UK 
properly. It was just a fluke thing. I just happened to find it in a shop and it was just, oh, really? it shouldn't have been there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was looking for other things. When I started getting into that, I was like, this is really cool. Like, it wasn't as polished, it wasn't as nice as Pokemon, but yeah. But the thing is, it's a game that I've never really heard about since and I've never seen since. So it's like, I've only got kind of very vague nostalgia. That must be funny as a journalist as well, like, because you and I always like to take uh, small games that people aren't necessarily playing and put them in front of people. Mm-hmm. So to have played something as a kid... And then as an adult, you're like, shit, was that game good? Would I, should I have told people about that? Yeah. Was that a gem that I would have got kudos I mean, for? I'm presuming it was good. It was actually my first introduction to the Dragon Quest series. It wasn't until years later when Dragon Quest Eight came out on PS2 and everyone started going, oh my God, this is really good. I actually thought, oh, yeah. oh okay. And it was one of those things where at the time I was thinking, oh, all the enemy designs in this game are really interesting. And all the, all the like, you know, it was inventive. And of course it was because it had quite a lot to draw from already. You played Dragon Quest Eight. Yeah, I played a bunch of it. It ended up being a real tedious grind. Man, me too. So I loved what they were trying to do with 8. And if people aren't aware, sort of the Dragon Quest games are sort of like Final Fantasy, but a bit more traditional. And Didn't they re-release 8 on uh, like 3DS or something recently? Yeah, they've been re-releasing a lot of them on 3DS as well, including the, uh, the one where you are start the game as a kid and then end up in a prison for a long time, which Tim Rogers says is the best one and is one of his favourite stories in any game. Oh. So if people would like to... I think it's Heavenly Sword... No, you see, I, I, th- I, played, I played a cool one that I liked called uh, Realms of Reverie. Which is that Dragon Quest colon Realms of Reverie? Yeah, I think that was what it's called over here or in America. I can't remember. Was there it. Reverie dancing that kind of? Thing? Uh, <sighs> probably. <laughs> it was cool though. That's I mean, what I we remember got. it was it was awesome in the fact that like yeah, I mean, spoilers for a game that came out like so many years ago, but that had a cool story in the fact that like um, the you were kind of trying to save the king who was ill. And then, like, oh, the the good king is ill, and uh, you've got to go because he's having this bad dream, uh-huh. and there's like some sort of spirits haunting him or something. So you have to go and work out what this evil creature is that is haunting the king is. Yeah, and then you work out this whole world is actually a dream, and you go Whoa. into the real world and everything, and it was almost like comedy level of like everything is like opposite world. So like all of the places in the the world that you were in, which is the dream world, which were nice, are fucking shitholes <laughs> and all of the places which are really evil and nasty are actually good oh. and it turns out that I think I think it was something like the good king you were trying to save was actually like a really evil bastard I mean I will always rant forever about uh, Final Fantasy 6 being great and would love to see that be oh um, man so good yeah the uh, but the way that of course again it's spoilers for Final Fantasy 6 um, but that whole game being like it was like it's like a well it's like another popular comic book series, which people may or may not have read, but where it's like, we've got, we've got to save the world! And then, you know, you have your final encounter with the guy. It's like, we're going to stop you from blowing up the world! And the guy's like, that? Ah, I I did that. <laughs> well, you, you're late. <laughs> like, And then the world falls apart. And then the back half of Final Fantasy VI is the fascinating thing of... Um, uh, all the same areas you visited before, but what are they like after the apocalypse? What is every single character that you recruited before doing after the apocalypse? Because people who were previously strong become weak and vice versa. Um, really fun stuff. Just a massive exploration of like, what do you do? What happens after you fail? And trying again. Which yeah. Which is really neat. Which is you didn't think. I mean, I love, I mean, oh, six is so good. I love the turnaround. The fact that like the guy, the guy who you think is just the light comedy relief. Yes. Like uh, baddie. It just ends up being actually like, just the worst, the worst man. man who but ends up being the real bad guy. To but. finish the thread we had earlier, Dragon Quest VIII being such a bizarre thing, when you've got, at a time when you've got Final Fantasy, uh, you know, like trying to do such interesting, weird stuff, uh, Dragon Quest VIII was unique if people didn't play it for saying, we're just going to get, oh, I'm quoting this from Consulvania actually, we're just going to get everything right. 
And so it's this perfectly ordinary story of like, there's a curse and you're a boy with a sword. And then there's, you meet a nobleman and a sorcerer and you kill slimes. Yeah. And it's a story of friendship. And it's really chasing that um, studio. What if Studio Ghibli made a JRPG and how sweet would it be? And how nice can we make the animations? Of course, Studio Ghibli had to go on to make an RPG and it was bad, but, or, I mean, certainly far too slow and weirdly paced. It was a bad RPG, yeah. No, I mean, like it it was a beautiful little thing. Uh, Nino Kuni was yes. talking about here. Like it was gorgeous. I love the music. I love the world. But it was a pretty bad game. Like, mm. And I would I would fight anyone who says otherwise to the death. <laughs> but as like, someone personally, like you know, who has an interest in like old fairy stories and very traditional stories that are just told immaculately. Yeah. Like uh, Dragon Quest Eight was interesting. That's kind of what Dragon Quest is in a weird way. Fun Fantasy is always like it's always having these stories of grandeur and their tone has changed over the years. But and it has like similar threads going through. But with Dragon Quest, it's very like purist in a way of being like. They do have the world is always like the big green world, yes, and swords and slimes. And it's, yeah, it's always the slime that you encounter and first. Tell, it's always the same like, blue slime. Each one just tells a simple story quite well. So yeah. I think it's not even with eight. I think they all do that, as far as I can tell. I'm sure that uh, all the cool gamers and cool ghosts listening to this will know this bit of trivia. But um, Dragon Quest Eight, of course, or Dragon Quest series in Japan is. Um, a game that has actual legal legislation about it and it cannot be released on a, I think, like a weekday, which is when all games are traditionally released in Japan because it would it was causing dips in the economy because so many people would not show up to work because it was a new Dragon Quest day. So those games legally have to be released on a weekend now, which yeah. I, I want to say that's the only uh, franchise which Japan has ever done that for, which I think is cool. It is cool. It is cool. Ah, man. Good JRPGs. I'm really hoping, because they are making Nino Kuni 2. I'm really hoping they actually do a good job of that. Man, all of my JRPG uh, hype, my hype clans are trained entirely on Final Fantasy 15 and Persona 5. It was a new trailer for that today. I haven't seen it yet. I, but... Me and oh, my, my fiance said, there's a new trailer for Persona 5. And I went, should we watch it on my PC? And she went, yeah. And then we couldn't find it because it was some kind of press-only <laughs> event or a leak or something. All oh, right. But after this podcast, who baby. Yeah, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm in two minds. I'm like, should I watch it or should I just get, try and go blind. I like the way that you think, yeah. Matt, and I want to do that too. I want to know nothing. Yeah. And it was funny. There was someone tweeting about Persona today saying like, because uh, the the trailer for Five, it, well, all the, the trailer I saw before and apparently the one today makes it look just ice cool. Like, you know, cool as a cucumber, like unbelievable menus and sexy music. And, and they were tweeting saying like, Persona 3, sad, depressed teenage gun club. Uh, Persona 4, idiots who are bad detectives. Persona 5, incredibly cool sexy cat burglars and I read that tweet and I'm like man no they look sexy but wait until they open their mouths and start talking which is the point that any Persona game starts goes from like being so cool to just kind of you know you put up with it (laughs) yeah I mean I'm going to play 5 and it's going to be great but I they're kind of always like annoying characters that you learn to love Oh yeah, but like it's you talk about the phrase mere exposure, right? Where yeah. if you spend enough time with something, you you do eventually grow to like it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, true, and it's hard to know how much of Persona is, especially there. with JRPGs and JRPG stories, because you spend a hundred hours with these characters. Like, especially, I think probably the best example of that is uh, actually in a video I put up today. I had a, a tiny reference to. What was the video you put up today? It was a video about Ratchet and Clank, the PS4 kind of reboot remake. It's a very short video. It's basically just talking about how it's like a fun thing that 
I'll talk about that in a second, actually. But basically, what I did with uh, Final Fantasy X was I just had a really brief mention about saying, oh, now I'm thinking about Final Fantasy X, and now I'm sad. <laughs> because I love that game, and I oh, love ten, the story. Ten, actually, Final Fantasy X being similar to Dragon Quest VIII, right? In as much as it, it was a Final Fantasy game that just took things back to basics, tried yeah. to just get that really cutesy art, and, like, sweet story with an evil sorcerer. Yeah. And no, like, you know, robots, which was the series' traditional, like, arc. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that came out after 10, actually. I think it might have been. Oh, that's 11 I'm thinking of. Yeah, you're getting mixed up. Yeah, I know what you mean, though. But um, yeah, but it's just the fact that I really ended up liking a lot of the characters in Final Fantasy X, which is crazy because a lot of those characters were fucking awful. Like, <laughs> and like, Wacker, like, fuck off, Wacker. Like, I just remember some of the early cutscenes in that game being like preposterously, preposterously obnoxious. Like, I hate these characters. But yeah. Yuna, like, half of her lines are just kind of going, uh-huh. And that's it. <laughs> like, and oh man, like the whole. But in the end, I found it really touching, and I, you know, cried a little bit at the end. And I do think that's probably ninety percent mere exposure. But uh, yeah, anyway, I, I made a video. Uh, it went up on last week on Thursday. You can find it on the site. It's about nostalgia and Ratchet and Clank. Really short thing. It's basically just this: the fact that this is a weird, funny thing of the fact that they slightly modernised this really old game and made it all glitzy, but made it also busier and made it a bit easier and and. Um, yeah, it's like it makes you feel like you're playing. Oh, it's like playing the old game when it's not. But it's like I like that in a kind of rebooty thing. Of yeah, like, let you have the sense of a nostalgic experience when actually you're not. Really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like it's it's the game, roughly the game that my head remembers it being. I, I mean, was, you know, just me being who I I personally uh, would fight nostalgia in a street if I could. I think nostalgia is pretty much always bad and weird to me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm kind of the same uh, a lot of the time. Um, uh, well, nostalgia's fine. If you, I mean, I get it. It's just personally... Like- annoyingly, though, I've realised there's a couple of things I forgot to mention in the video because I'm an idiot. Um, but I forgot to mention... <laughs> uh, I forgot to mention the fact that A, they changed it so now you've got all this like health that's constantly boosting all the time and uh, it means like you actually level up your health bar where the original game was a bit of a grind sometimes in terms of getting through areas if you kept dying again and again and again. Whereas this, like, it's just a bit easier yeah. And because of it was that, before Halo's regenerating health took over the world. Yeah, well, as in this, it's still got the same system of like you pick up health to get more health, but then your health bar gets bigger as the game goes on, and it means that you kind of just slowly cannonball, like not cannonball, you slowly just roll snowball. Up. Yeah, you slowly you snowball through the game, and there are moments that are tricky, but it's never like frustrating and never really slows you down. Also, the fact that it's like because that means you you get through it probably faster than you would have done the original PS2 game, and it's cheaper. I mean, it's not cheap, cheap, but thirty quid for a PS4 game out, out new is unfortunately in this world cheaper so it kind of feels like did we figure out how long it is because I do want it but 30 quid for me if it is short oh no yeah wait till it's cheaper like because it will it just means when it's cheaper it will be really cheap like it will probably be like (laughs) 10, 15 quid in like 3 or 4 months yeah I'm into it it. definitely wait talking of nostalgia uh, since we're like hopping from game to game and like we've we've been playing games it's nice yeah it's good I've got another one to talk about later as well but um, you were playing Wolfenstein when I came in I was yeah what's the sub Wolfenstein in New Order is that yeah Wolfenstein the new order and it came out two years ago three probably like three or four in history it's an old game now it's dead (laughs) yeah it's the the touching story of BJ Blazkowicz inventor of the blowjob uh, (laughs) trying to fight off that shouldn't have made me laugh an army of robot dogs 
who are convinced that they invented the blowjob, when that's ridiculous, because they're robot dogs. They oh. haven't even got proper mouths. Did we ever mention on Dark Souls the preview I did for uh, for Wolfenstein and New Order? I might have done when I talked about this game originally, but uh, okay. do now, because it's fucking brilliant. Well, to games journalists, at least. But yeah, I... Uh, no, well, anyone I'm, who likes things to do with games. Yeah, so um, previews in general are always like the most frustrating thing for anyone to, uh, to do as a games journalist, because like, you just... You know, you're kind of hamstrung by the relationship you've got with the PR if you're doing a preview in the first place. So usually it's like, yeah, game looks great. It's going to have these guns and maybe these things will be bad, but hopefully not. I hope it's good. You know, like it's just yeah. so formulaic and so uh, trite. And so my friend got paid to do a preview and he went to the preview event and took notes the whole time. This is Brendan Caldwell. And uh, he also wrote some of it in shorthand in the interview. And I took all of his notes and his shorthand and then I wrote the preview for him. And we were like, we put this like front and center. It's like, you know, because it fitted for Wolfenstein because Wolfenstein was a franchise that you have to struggle to care about anyway often. Yeah. So it was like, we're going to take this as seriously as they're taking like creativity seriously. And it was kind of a statement, but it was also like a pretty accurate preview. Yeah, like, you got a lot of it right. I remember being quite impressed. Yeah, it, based on... the preview was you like guessing what the notes meant and writing the preview and then Brendan going, well, this is what I meant. Like, oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, he pops in occasionally to be like, yeah, yeah. but it was funny because he didn't write those notes for me he wrote them for himself so they're all insane shorthand and the actual shorthand if you've never seen shorthand is like I had to get a dictionary and then just translate it Stargate shit isn't it it's the most Stargate language yeah But yeah, no, that's a wonderful piece. I will link that in the uh, description for the podcast on coolghost.net if I forget. But, the, no, but, funny, but yeah. uh, it seems like a pretty nice, robust little shooter. It's solid, right? You know, and I started playing it way back when. I had some problems with it when it came out because uh, it, it didn't run with AMD cards. It like had real issues with slowdown and it was kind of ruining the cutscenes. So I stopped playing because um, because it was... That, the cutscenes, I, I got the sense that the interact, the kind of... Uh, first-person cutscene bits were really good and really fun and really intense. And I, was, I like, was watching them over your shoulder this yeah. morning and thinking to myself, I remember when cutscenes were fun. Precisely, yeah. And yeah, it is, it's good. And it's both fun sometimes, but also horribly intense. And it started doing this thing where the characters were speaking out of sync. And I thought, no, this is spoiling something that's actually quite good. So I stopped it and then I came back and I didn't touch it for ages because when I had to reinstall my PC, I lost my save files and I was like, I can't be bothered playing the first three hours again. But I felt like enough time passed. So I'm like, no, I'm going to get back in. And you know what? Just playing the first hour of the game again reminded me like, it's the first hour of the game, especially it's so good. Like it's got so many cool design decisions. It's just bizarrely like, it doesn't it just doesn't work like it's what do you mean there's some of the design decisions basically are things that are wolfenstein stuff and they don't really like they haven't aged well like the fact that you're constantly having to go around and pick up health packs and when you shoot guards they drop their helmets and you can pick up their helmets as armor yeah more armor i saw you going around pressing e to collect you were in a nazi castle and you were running past like sort of strafing all the dining tables and emptying like four plates of roast chicken into your (laughs) mouth which is funny right but actually uh in that game it has enough going on and enough going for it that that element of having to just slow down and search boxes for ammo and and health right. and armor just feels like an, an and like an antique element that doesn't fit. I mean we were talking a few podcasts ago about the uh tonal sort of like tightrope that is um what Call of Duty games have to do yeah. with like war is awesome ba 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 but then also there's so much they're so high fidelity and they're you know um so high fidelity 
that they can't avoid the fact that like, hey, men are dying. That's sad. War is sad as well. So war is sad. Na, 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 na. And then yeah. it's like they're glorifying it, but it's meant to be bad. And then Wolfenstein has exactly that. But yeah. also the bizarre nostalgia factor of like some things are just straight up odd because they're kind of, they're Wolfenstein and they're yeah. callbacks. It's kind of a so shame. It's sad and exciting and sort of old fashioned in a, it's just insane it but, is and that's the thing is like it's 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 in many ways playing it in many ways i'm just struck by the fact that it is brilliant in lots of ways the craftsmanship you mean yeah and also of like the developers some of the tonal stuff is brilliant as well yeah the voice acting seems really good as well the voice acting is is quality um the cutscenes are really entertaining animation and stuff and like uh, some of the facial animation is a bit ropey, but it conveys enough. The, the, weirdly, the sound design in the game, the kind of mix as you're playing, and isn't like that great. The sound engine, but um, fabulous like use of music. Like within the first five minutes of the game, the main menu screen is just wonderful shoegaze, like a genuinely pretty cool shoegaze. <laughs> then you're in like a ship, and it's like starts playing some like classical guitar, and then it's like playing something that almost sounds like it's about to start playing like. Um, Eye of the Tiger or something. I, there uh, was some actual, like, metal at one point yeah. when you were scaling a castle. Yeah, it, it, it literally, the soundtrack just jumps around all over the place and rather than just doing that kind of, like, Hans Zimmer bullshit. Um, and it's exciting to have a game like that where the soundtrack is just jumping around all over the place. And it just also, like, it just has... It, in a way, like, it just feels quite culturally informed, in a way. Like, yeah. you kind of feel like the people designing it have a broader interest in lots of things. But then, weirdly, again, that is then hamstrung by the fact they're making this sort of bizarre um, Nazi uh, robot thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you are knifing dogs to death yeah. while there is, like, classical guitar. Again, that's the thing. It's like, it, it has moments of genuine humor, terror, uh, human terror and tension. It has moments of... There's like, a lot of, sort of, uh, the moments where you're, like, undercover or you're not very powerful and there are some very evil people there. Yeah, and, like, even, obviously, people have talked about the bit on the train a lot as an early section where it's, like, genuinely quite stressful and harrowing. But, again, it's just that weird thing of it being... It's funny because, like, Wolfenstein is so close to being the perfect setting for a shooter, in the fact that you're going around with silly guns, blasting the fuck out of robotic mutants um, who... I would argue that Bulletstorm was the greatest setting for a shooter. No, no, that is true. But this is the thing, is like, it, that's what I mean, is Bulletstorm is is sort of the same thing, but just without the Nazis. And it's just that thing of it being like, in for many years it was perfect, because it was like, well, the Nazis. But now it's like... It means in modern games, especially when you have an ambitious studio like this, and a lot of the design in that and a lot of the storytelling is pretty ambitious, it means it is trying to do serious stuff as well. And it is like having bits that like trying to riff off things like the Holocaust and stuff. And it's like, you can't do that. You know? And that's why <laughs> it's why it's a bizarre game. And the fact that like there's so much about it I love, and yet it's just a fucking mishmash. Like it's just being like one minute it's like I'm holding two assault rifles and just splatting everything. The next minute it's making you think about like Nazi experiments and it's like if and then you're like scaling a fucking castle on a rope line while shooting guys out of windows it's like it's so close to perfect I just wish that it was like it just wasn't the Nazis it was just some like made up aliens or something I mean but so much of what I've seen from like the from writing my famous preview and also seeing you play like it is drawing from a lot of the experimentation that the Nazis did on uh, yeah on uh, interned prisoners in the concentration that's kind of weird right yeah it is like you literally uh, in the level that I saw which is the first level um, fall through the floor 
and end up suddenly you're like in a castle shooting some Nazis, to, but they're not actual, they're like electric Nazis, and there's yeah. robo dogs, and then you fall through the floor and you end up in like an experimentation chamber, which is, which sounds pretty worse than it is because it's abstracted and sci fi. Yeah. But it's still like, you know, tonally drawing massively from this very real historical event. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't quite know how to feel. Precisely, and it's especially because it is a game that um, that is very good at drawing from you emotionally. Like, and that's that's the thing. It's 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 fascinating. Like, there's there's a lot of um, of design decisions in there that are really strong um, in terms of how it structures the game and how it structures sections and gives you the sense of uh, of almost freedom of exploration whilst also kind of keeping. The linear form and also in terms of just letting you play how you want to play and then giving you rewards that reflect how you're playing and like just to allow you to just because like, you I, and I didn't know this you can go like fully stealthy through areas or combat or a mix of both yeah and it's stuff like you do you do five stealth kills and it's like now you can do throwing knives for stealth kills and then you do like five of them and then it's like and you can do something else or like if you just go around and get aim and get headshots then when you get those headshots it'll make you better at something to do with that yeah and if you go so it's like it's kind of almost like that kind of almost um, uh, like Morrowind style like leveling system. Yeah. It's not as simple as that uh, and it's not as detailed, but it's nice. And it's basically a game that just allows you to just plow through it, having fun with it. But then it does all this, tries to do all this ambitious, like feely stuff, but it's just not the right setting. It's like, it's, it's so strange in the fact that like what makes it as strong as it is as a stupid dumb shooter is the fact that it's like robo-Nazis um, but what makes it kind of not feel comfortable as a, a, a game which is trying to make you feel something with its narrative um, is is the same thing. So it's it's just it's it's a bizarre. I, I'm, I want to keep playing it, and I might end up making a video about it at some point just because it is it's weirdly still relevant. Everyone I'm playing it at the moment because everyone's talking about Doom and stuff, and I'm just like, I'm not fucking interested in Doom. Like Doom is a game which like I, I don't know I, I, for whatever reason it's like Wolfenstein is still interesting. Um, Doom, I don't know, like just it's it's almost like the purity of the shootiness and that's fine, but actually it's it's the mixture of the two that interests me about Wolfenstein. Sure. It's it just doesn't quite fit. And it makes me really wish that team could just work on something just a bit that was fresh. Something like Bulletstorm, as you say. Like, yeah. Of being like And if people do want a shooter that is incredibly cheap and very entertaining, Bulletstorm single player gives like so much you know like the the writing and the setting it's uh it's set if because i it's got it's called bulletstorm and understand if it passed you by but if you do enjoy the occasional shooter bulletstorm has you crash landing on a planet in the future which used to be a paradise planet but is now overrun with mad max fury road style gangs so in addition to all the imagery of these like cool punk gangs which the art art designers have just gone to town on uh also you have this like completely imagine gears of war but in like a holiday resort so rather than Gears of War, where, oh, destroyed beauty, all these beautiful old, quite boring stone buildings that have fallen apart. It's like, no, it's a you're fighting in a swimming pool or a club or, yeah. you know, but it's, obviously it's falling apart. And funny! It's it's a, very it funny. is the funniest FPS I've ever played. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's definitely up Which there. makes it sound like the humour is bad, but no, it's like, it, it laugh out loud humour. No, it is funny. It is funny. There are very few games I actually think are funny. Like, lots to try, but my <laughs> God... Like, Jesus, if I have to see another parody game, which is parodying games, it's like, nope, that's not how parody works. You yeah. Anyway. Um, before we move on to, uh, oh, I guess the other game I'm playing, I should just quickly mention, music in the new Hitman is extremely good as well. Mm. Uh, but very consistent. It just, uh, it's got a, 
a soundtrack that dynamically like becomes more or less exciting depending on where you're at in the plot. Um, so gradually through a level across like 15 minutes, it will slowly amp up because 15 minutes in, you're bound to be doing something like yeah. incredibly dangerous. Um, but also like when you uh, are like the moment after you assassinate someone or do something quite cool, um, the music will just go crazy. And then the fun thing is like in any other game, it's like as you approach the assassination, um, the music gets like super exciting and like that it's James Bond trills and it's all orchestral yeah but Hitman doesn't know when you're going to kill someone so actually what it does works out fine <laughs> because Hitman's all about leaving anyway so you know there's no music and then quickly strangle the target and you strangle them and no one's noticed and you leave the room and then the music goes mental as Hitman is walking very slowly away and the string section of the orchestra is just losing its mind and then <laughs> walk down some stairs yeah I was going to go and play that a couple of days ago it's Although fine I man that annoying thing of like I was like like, yeah, I'll play. And then it's like, oh, you need to download a massive update. I've, uh, I find that increasing now. Like, it, it used to be just the PC. I'm, I'm kind of getting quietly resentful of the fact that we've now entered an age where you can't just put discs into machines and have a go on something. I saw like, the... At a drop of a hat. Yeah, I saw the um, people who bought the XCOM 2 uh, Collector's Edition, uh, which is, has all the DLC coming, um, were annoyed because, uh, like, the, the first DLC pack for XCOM 2, which is called Anarchy's Children, is just loads of, like... Again, Mad Max style, sort of very well, punky. I thought it looked awful, but that's yeah. just I don't like that aesthetic. Sure, so but I was like, I don't want that in my game. It is, it is overwhelmingly negatively reviewed on Steam because um, so you go to play XCOM Two, but there's a big patch, and then you're like, oh, okay, because you bought the the collector's edition, right? Right. Um, so then you load up your game, which is patched, and suddenly all your soldiers have mohawks and because it randomizes the accessories, right? Ah. Which is what XCOM's always done, but you didn't ask for this or sign up. So in the middle of your campaign, suddenly all your soldiers show up and they're like, oh. hey, dude, and they've got you know green hair and I would have flipped a table well you would not you'd be in good company I wouldn't have minded because I would have just manually I guess reset a lot of stuff yeah no but. I would have done but I would have flipped the table first and then gone oh god I better put that table back up <laughs> <laughs> fix all these fucking haircuts yeah um, um, but yeah I just, I just hate that aesthetic um, that's fine but hey I'm kind of I like the options I, I like I would get that DLC so there, there is one person in like my roster of 15 soldiers who looks mental? Oh no, yeah, and that'd that would be, be fine. cool. Just yeah. one, like that'd be absolutely fine. And that would that would be cool. Even. I like that. Yeah, but, yeah. But like a lot of people were saying as well, the modern community is already providing this stuff, but better for free. Oh yeah, absolutely. Actually, it's weird, like because I, I know they're doing their first actual like actual DLC, Alien thing, Hunters, yeah, yeah, which is going to be like I think similar to the DLC of the first game. They're just adding like a few new story missions and yeah. then a few new enemies. But I'm probably just going to wait like about six months. Until yeah, wait until done, all like, the DLCs there, and then go also back like to it's it. not going to be the long war guys making it because now they're kind of working on their own thing a eh? and also working with for access to do some of the extra they DLCs. actually they're still releasing mods um they've yeah. got new mod yeah they've got new mods the new one came out today but i wonder if coming. because now they're working a bit with for access whether or not it will be them who will do the next thing which will be like the thing that blows xcom yeah, 2 wide open i don't know maybe maybe not i'll be interested to know cause... i already want to go back just because very quickly pretty much as soon as i put it down someone released that um stop wasting my time mod yeah, which absolutely. removes every single weird pause and from i the knew game. that would happen yeah we all did it's which just... is great so yeah i'm looking forward to because i was grumpy last time we mentioned xcom 2 but going back into it with like all the official mods you know some a uh, uh, choice sous-son of like fan made yeah. mods having a great time yeah absolutely absolutely but uh yeah Ah, oh, finally, I just one of the things that I really I forgot to mention in my little uh, Ratchet and Clank video, and it's a shame that the, the, one of the things they haven't captured properly, and I wasn't quite sure on, but I went back and watched some of the cutscenes from the original game. They haven't quite captured the characters right, and actually, what's what's interesting now really? is this new game has this uh, like amazing. At times, some of the cutscenes are actually bits from the film they made, which apparently is a bit crap, but it's like almost like Pixar style quality animation stuff. But the characters are different. 
And it's really? kind of like the... How so? Well, it used to be in the original game that like, uh, like Ratchet was just a bit of a dick to Clank. And Clank was just this stupid little robot that Ratchet would just be like, I don't really care about this guy <laughs> at all. And would always be trying to like get him into trouble and stuff and just not really apathetic about him, but in a funny way. Um, and now it's kind of like, hey, little buddy. like, And it's just, I don't know, it's like... That's interesting. It's, it, they've changed their tone. Also, what I found fascinating is the fact that even now the fidelity of it is phenomenal. Like, this game looks gorgeous on PS4. Um, the actual cutscenes, the animation quality in the original game was way better. If you go back and watch the original cutscenes, uh, the way the characters move is funnier. Like, the way the cutscenes are done in terms of having very subtle things is funnier. Like, the comedy angle in, in the original game, way sharper, even though it was working with a lot less. So it's kind of fascinating that you go and watch these, like, new versions of the cutscenes, the characters are just somehow less charming and less well animated and, and the comedy beats don't work as well. That's really interesting. Which is fascinating. It's the fact, like, it was one of the things I was pleased about because I always thought the first Ratchet and Clank was really funny. And the new one is kind of, like, amusing at times, but to be honest, it's just more like spectacle explosions and I'm enjoying that enough. But you go back and watch cutscenes from the real game, they're funny. They're still funny. It was, like, genuinely really well-directed stuff. So. That's really interesting. Although, I'm, yeah, like you, I'm just, just so psyched to have see beautiful uh, animated explosions on my PS4. It's it's something. It really is. Online. Actually, the, as I say, I merely mentioned really briefly in the video, like, they've got some new areas which, like, have, like, a jetpack and that's really fun. Jetpacks, Like, sure. exploring this big lava world with a jetpack and, like, being able to just do, like, jetpack-based combat with giant squid things and, yeah, it's just... Lava I, I, squids. It's a lot of fun. Are they lava squids? No, they're like brain squids. Uh, I think they're called like uh, uh, cranioctopuses or something <laughs> like something like that. You have to like blow them up to get their brains or something like that. Sure. Yeah, it's dumb shit, but uh, it's fun. You know what I've been playing that is, I guess, this is there is no way to segue this in because it's the opposite of dumb shit. But on this day of uh, the London uh, mayoral election and local elections all across the UK, I've been playing Democracy 3 Africa, <laughs> which just came out. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no, it's, I mean it's the it's the other game I played this week. I, no, and no, no, I, and I failed, or at least I failed to talk about it last week. But hey, I don't have a great deal to say about it aside from the fact that oh my god, Democracy Three should be taught in schools. Yeah. Well, Did you, you really, ever poke it? I haven't, but I've seen enough of it that I know that it's really actually quite accurate at modelling stuff. Yeah, right? and even it uh, deals with the. Um, so the question when you're dealing with simulation um, is that people are. In a, it, it, Simulations are how you. Oh my god! Basically, there is ethics within a simulation, right? There is no such thing as accurately simulating like a society because everyone's opinions on how a society works are slightly different. Yes, and even if you try and make something as he's, I would guess, done with Democracy Three um, or all the Democracy games, um, you make something that's as true to life as possible. You're still going to get it wrong. And so when Democracy 3 Africa starts, I didn't play Democracy 3, so. But uh, the new game, Africa, it has all these sliders when you start up a world. So it's like, I want to be Zambia. And it goes, okay, there are six, all these six different attributes of the simulation. You can slide it to make, is your population going to be more or less lenient to you? Is the GDP going to be more or less, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, and you can tweak your simulation to make it mirror your own view of the world. Yeah. Or you can just leave it basic. But yeah, it's just being put in the shoes of a politician in Democracy 3 is like the most eye-opening experience you will ever go in of like trying to give people what they want, policies that they think they want versus what you personally think the country needs. 
the realization of why countries all have massive debt because you don't care. You just mm. don't care because de- debt is like someone else's problem down the line and you got elected by these people if you want a second term. Yeah, you know, well, government debts aren't that big a deal. Yeah. Because you've got like forever to pay them off. Yes, and it's just... And plus, then you when you get put it in the African setting, I think you give it a little more colour than... Uh, a little more interesting stuff that um, wasn't necessarily there before. Like, there's a lot more of the possibility of, like, a violent coup. Sure. Coup. Um, you know, education is often very low. GDP is very low. Agriculture mm-hmm. is, like, you know, you deal with an agricultural society. So there's a lot more policies and sliders that relate to that. And also, because I just know less about Africa, I find it, like, a little more interesting. Hmm. But, yeah, God, I literally only brought this up because I want to express, again, that Democracy 3 should be taught in schools. Yeah, like, I mean, it's... It's the best educational tool. And fun, by the way. It's fun. And you should absolutely throw this guy your money. But, like, ah, you learn so much. Yeah, and that is that is a thing. It's, it's kind of interesting that it's kind of the perfect setting for a sim, in a way. And especially interesting the fact that at the start of the game, it kind of says, well, actually, like, what, what sort of... Uh, a simulation do you want exactly yeah. like because that is the root of all sim games really that being that is the key question is you know you say you want a realistic simulation what do you actually want i mean what did i i called um uh, city skylines in when i was doing the um uh, steam surfers videos when I, I i called city skylines like 7 gig of pro roundabout propaganda precisely like and actually that was a fascinating <laughs> thing i like city city sky god i could be worse could i call it scatty's skylines uh, i like <laughs> Uh, City Skylines a lot, right? But I do think, like, it's a lovely game, but I do think still that SimCity was, like, massively unfairly, like, berated. Like, I still think the uh, level yeah, of Yeah, we've talked about this before. But now having played Skylines, yeah. I kind of get it. I mean, Skylines is more like a fish tank than it is a simulator. Yeah. You know, you just build beautiful things and sometimes you run out of money. But it's and- <laughs> hey, like... Uh, Skylines, what it does right, because it came from a traffic sim game, basically, it gets the traffic so right. And then seeing the fact that all of the most popular, like, homemade mods are all, like, different variations of roundabouts and (laughs) junctions, it's like, man, like, I I really do feel like a lot of the people who hated SimCity just were just traffic enthusiasts. But, but, I do... And that's interesting. I think that when you're given that perspective and the opportunity to design a city... Really, what the game is asking is you to design a good traffic infrastructure because there's sure. not a great like the kind of housing you're going to build on the fringe of your society isn't that interesting. Like in terms of a pure game, in terms of a puzzle, I think traffic is the simplest way to take a city sim like SimCity and turn it into something you can actually mull over and go. Hmm. But I think this is interesting, right? Because with SimCity, what we saw was this game, which like I don't know if that was entirely the intention, but I got the impression it was trying to. Uh, reflect the idea of an actual city of space and opening space. I've talked about this loads of times. The idea of being like you have to make compromises. Somebody has to live near the rubbish because that's the modern world we live in. I found that spoke to me quite a lot as a man living in London. Yeah, and this idea of like, well, you can't just have like the, all the shit stuff miles away from anyone in the middle of nowhere, yeah. like because that doesn't work. Um, but then with Skylines, it have this fantastic scope, but it was essentially this sort of traffic puzzle. And I found it interesting that obviously the people who, who talk about, when they think about realistic sims of cities, that's what they want. They want the realistic traffic. They want somebody who's going to go out of their house in the morning and go to work in the same car and come back to the same house. And it's, a, it's a model train set, right? Yeah, exactly. But I think that's interesting because to me... It is literally a model train set. What I, uh, I liked SimCity. I respect the fact that it was fucked in so many ways, but I still liked it. But I find it interesting that uh, in the in the the simulation of city world like it is basically they want the model train set they want the traffic set 
And that's fascinating because I think like that actually a game about simulating cities could be so many, so much more. I think especially in uh, the fact that in all of these games, like the reflection of happiness is all based on simple things. Like there's a school within radius. It becomes this radius thing of amenities. And then you see the the big smiley faces glowing. Yeah, yeah. Like I'd love a game which was more about kind of actually thinking about the, the, the well-being of citizens and stuff and actually like going in and tweaking parks and stuff and being like, how can I make... This, like, how can I make the people in this city happier? But on a, a, that being the focus, rather than being like, well, all of the cars move around accurately. I mean, a real thing you could do is... Uh, I, I don't know how City Skylines does if you crank the difficulty from normal to very hard. Because I think it might end up being more similar to what you're talking about. Than oh, no, I, there still is that stuff. But I just think it'd be fascinating to have more of a microscopic thing about that, about basically treating cities as being um, societies that you have to manage. I mean, something like a cross between, like, you know... Yeah, sure. I think I, I always talk about how, like, leadership, and I find leadership uh, on exactly the same lines fascinating because Mass Effect is like, oh, you can be a starship captain. Uh, it's the Star Trek thing of like, oh, what kind of Star Trek captain do you want to be? What kind of cool solutions do you want to offer yeah. for problems? But like, as I've gotten older and as I've like got some experience in managing people and uh, and also playing board games that do a lot of leadership stuff and role playing games, leadership. And being a boss, like, if a game were to model that accurately, it's about making the decisions that no one else wants to make. Yeah. It's if Mass Effect were a realistic leadership game, and Sunless Sea does a lot more of this, it's balancing your own personal greed and your desire with what the crew, like, actually wanted. Yeah. And, yeah, Sunless Sea has home... Uh, one of my favourite things in Sunless Sea is... Uh, we've talked about this. The, um, the Island of Corals... And uh, there are chess sets that yeah. are made of corals. And basically, it's the sort of magical realist thing that when you touch corals, you start having dreams. And, uh, you know, you dock here and then you start spending time there and you spend a lot of time there and you're clicking around and it's really fascinating. You're learning all these secrets. And then it occasionally hints at the writing of like, you see your crewman here. He looks very nervous. He says, Captain, we've been here for a long time. The, the men would yeah. like to leave. And you don't know if you've been here for like nine months. Yeah. And it's a great moment. But uh, yeah, I think this is exactly the same thing. Do people want the reality of a city simulator or what City Skyline offers of making nice things? Well, it's like you talk to like uh, people... Oh, uh, I remember when I first started getting into audio was when I went to studio tours for um, racing games often. And I wasn't really interested in racing games, but when I saw the process between the audio in terms of getting people to feel like they're driving a car, I found that manipulation fascinating. And the thing that I always learned was the fact that people always say they want really realistic cars. They don't. Like, and there's a the classic <laughs> thing that they always found was that, especially with the sounds, people would say, like, they'd make it sound exactly like a car would sound if you were actually behind it or in this position or whatever. They, they'd completely get it right. And people would say, no, it doesn't sound right. And it was this fascinating thing of to make... That things feel right in terms of what things are actually like it's not the same as what they actually are yeah and I think that's the fascinating thing about about sim stuff and it just makes me a bit sad because I, I just remember with the the sim city for all it was like yes it got lots of stuff wrong but it, it felt to me that like it was more just hated because people already had a very strong vision of what a simulation a city simulation game should be like and what like a city simulation game should be focused on and it kind of feels to me that like I love city skylines but I feel like with that community now, we're never going to see um, a different sort of city sim that's going to thrive. You well, know? I mean, this is exactly, this takes us full circle. This is what Patreon is for, right? It's like, yeah. you know, this is where independent developers can receive money from people who really do want that uh, that gritty simulation. And again, like Democracy 3, if you want to learn what a, being a leader is really like, uh, Democracy 3 will absolutely show you. Bizarre stuff, like, uh, like I realised that the long-term side effects of me desperately trying to get people out of poverty... Mm-hmm infinitesimally that was causing less like uh, very poor people and people in poverty and creating a larger uh, middle class 
which and a middle class would no longer like my policies of yeah. pulling people out of uh, out of poverty because they want focus on stuff that benefits them. Yeah, and it's it's just absolutely insane. <laughs> so yeah, vote. Although I guess this is going out four days later. So yeah. I hope you voted. Hope you voted. <laughs> Good stuff. Should we answer some questions? Let's answer some questions. Tab us over to the question thing, and this week I've cleverly sat in a position where I can read them. Charlie asks... Uh, if you would like to ask questions. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, you can do so on coolghosts.net. Click on Darth Souls. You can go straight the way through to the question thread. I have got a big comment thread. Upvote questions. Leave questions. Have a look. There's yeah. Lots to see. Have a look. People, in fact, have conversations in this thread, which is bad because our system for saying we've answered <laughs> the questions is to delete them all. So. so we have to manually scrub these interesting conversations yeah, I feel a bit from bad. existence. Like, people turn up and I go, well, that was an interesting conversation. Napalm. <laughs> there must be a better solution, but currently we don't have one. I don't know, man. This is the best solution. It's pretty good. Anyway, ever we, I mean, we have consistently had very good questions on this. So, hey, you know. More napalm, fine. Charlie asks, what's more important, playing a game as it's supposed to be played or playing it so that you can enjoy it? For example, as someone who's not hugely in strategy games, I find XCOM 2 far too stressful to be enjoyed in anything other than the easiest difficulty and without Iron Man. While I appreciate the added enjoyment and challenge these options can give to some people, I can't do it without getting anxious and angry, ruining my enjoyment of an otherwise excellent game. I think that of all the things I could say, I'm going to say that it depends on whether the game is supposed to provide like pleasure or like artistry, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, if you're playing XCOM, which is unquestionably a game that is meant to like make you feel awesome and entertain you, play it exactly how you want. And that's the case with 90% of games. But with something like, I mentioned Kitty Horror Show's work and people who like horror games should unquestionably Google Kitty Horror Show. I think she's the uh, the best horror video game designer working today. And uh, yeah, but if you were to like say, um, oh, I want to play that, but maybe it's a bit scary, so I'll play it with the lights on. It's like, that is different because that is actually just erasing the sole thing that was game was meant to do, right? Yeah. I think it, it, it's, a, it's a balance. It depends on whether the, the designer is uh, performing art, in which case you should be trying to go where the artist is and meet them there. Whereas if it's just fun, then obviously live your life. Well, I don't know. I think even when you say just fun, it's like it's almost like the tool. You're using the game as a tool to have fun. Yeah, right? sure. And I still think like with any circumstance, there is a way to optimize that tool. However, like you don't have to use a tool to you for, for the same thing. Like, you know, like the way I'm going to use a, a grater, for example, to grate parmesan and a courgette will be very different. Like, you know, and I wouldn't want to cross It always comes back to courgettes with you. Food's great analogy for everything and courgettes are awesome. Anyway, um, it's that thing of like, I think... It's there are two ways. I think XCOM is an interesting one in the fact that, like, personally, I had an amazing time playing on relatively easy difficulty without Iron Man and reloading and reloading. I still had a wicked time. I then found, especially with the original XCOM, when I went onto a harder difficulty and put an XCOM on Iron Man, I felt that for me it was like it changed the game and that for me felt like the optimal way to play it. But the optimal way to play it in a way which was intense, stressful and... For me, I love that kind of experience. For other people, I can see, like, they don't like that. Like, sometimes I feel like I don't want that. I feel like my life is stressful enough already without having added, like, anxiety from games. Sure. But I I think that the, when people say, oh, that's not the way a game is supposed to be played, I think that's bullshit. But yeah. I think that there are often optimal configurations in order to have a certain type of experience. Yeah, sure. I agree. And I mean, I- I'm always just, because I feel too strongly about games, if someone tells me that, like... You know, they played Kentucky Route Zero with the sound off. I will yeah. explode. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I find the same thing as me. Like people, I see people. I've said it before. People are saying, "Oh yeah, Dark Souls and like Bloodborne. It's a lot easier if you just turn the music off because then, like, you know, it's not as stressful in the boss fights." It's like, yeah, but that's like what? <laughs> like that, that's the whole point. Like that the whole. But to me, the whole point of those games. 
And that's one of those situations where I think, well, if you're doing that, like, why are you playing? Well, like, I mean, but, you know, let them... But if you're having fun, then that, I, that's fine. But to me, I just feel like, I think XCOM is an interesting one of the fact that, like, you can play that as kind of, like, gung-ho, like, save the world from aliens uh, and not have too much trouble doing that. But you can also play it as this, like, underdog experience. However, I do feel like From stuff, because despair and stress is such an integral part of the experience, to try and minimise that just so you can plough through it just feels like, well, just play something else. Play another, like, third-person action game, because... There's, there's good ones. <laughs> yeah. Are there? I don't know, man. Well, I... there aren't as many anymore. That is true. But, um, yeah, I don't know. But then at other times it's funny how, like, you know, you'd have some people who would say the way you're supposed to play a game will always be, like, on the normal difficulty or higher. Wherever, like, I remember somebody said recently, oh, I'm going to play Mass Effect. And I was like, play it on easy. Easy. Like, yeah. Because then it just means you are, like, a guy with a shotgun who just walks and shoots things and you're the space captain who saves the day. Because that game is just purely unenjoyable on anything other than easy. If people did need uh, another example of uh, sexism within the games industry, um, there have been a few cases of uh, women uh, in within game art- gaming articles suggesting that stuff like Mass Effect or, um, you know, uh, Pillars of Eternity should have an easy mode um, because they don't care. And the difference in response when a woman writes that versus when a man writes it is, like, I think, to my mind, like, one of the single most obvious examples of, like, people being treated radically differently uh, it's a huge cultural thing in games for so long in terms of selling lots of bullshit to idiots as being just about being the best and it's 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 quite American I guess but I don't think that's entirely it you know that's why we have like did you see the um the sorry well that's why you have the whole you know it's, it's a cliche but that's why you do have the whole culture of Mountain Dew and Doritos just a sort of like salt and sugar and caffeine of you know this idea of keep playing keep Keep playing, winning. keep practicing, keep winning. And I think like, uh, way back in the really history of Dark Souls, like 50 episodes or so, there was that amazing, I talked about that amazing article on Gamma Sutra, which was like all the different words that different um, uh, languages use to yeah. refer to beating games. Yeah. Because only America actually says beat. Um, I think in England we tend to say finished. Mm-hmm. And then in like Spain or Sweden they say looped, um, which is awesome. Like, oh, I looped it. You know, because you go back to the beginning. And uh, yeah, some really interesting ones in there. So if, if people Google Gamma Sutra, uh, you know, different words used to complete games, yeah. they'll find a really fun little article. I used article. to say completed or finished, but I've kind of I've kind of gone to done with now. <laughs> because it's like, it's a more personal thing and it's like, it doesn't reflect the game itself. It's just like, I feel like I've, I've had my experience with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, That's just part of being older. When I was younger, I would religiously finish any book I started, which was dumb as bricks I struggle so much to, to finish games because I, I have the sort of mind that latches onto all the systems that you do I feel I need to be more careful when I recommend stuff yeah, hey Matt I've played this mobile game it frustrates for me though because I see like lots of people saying oh recently like and I'm fascinated by it because I've seen particularly a lot of women talking about Dragon Age Inquisition a lot of women seem to really like that game and I, I think I love it because I think it's because I don't know why but I know it's quite story based and I know it's like quite character based, but I also know that they've brimmed it to the full with lots of like kind of bullshitty MMO tasks to do and mini quests and things to complete in each area. And my brain just loves that shit. Oh, you, oh, have you played it? No, but oh. I feel like I just get stuck. On you and like, I should play it. I kind of want to play it, but I feel like I just get stuck I've on like collecting details. 10 antlers. And I just feel like, <laughs> I know I don't have to do it. I know I don't enjoy doing it, but I can't stop my brain from gravitating towards it. I really would love the option to just, at the start of the game, just say... Turn off all the... Just turn off this stuff. Do you want it? Like It is funny that Assassin's Creed especially... It. Like, Assassin's Creed works so hard to immerse you in the world, and then there's giant floating flags and stuff. And I can't stop myself from doing it, like, just completing everything. And I, I don't ever finish the game. What's weirder, that you can't yourself stop yourself from doing it and then don't complete it, or that 
I know I don't care about this stuff, but every time like, I start a new Batman or a new Assassin's Creed, you then try. I'll be like, this time, <laughs> this time, and like quite literally, this time I will collect a hundred flags was something that was in my head when I played um, Black Assassin's Creed Black Flag, and like obviously I didn't. No one does. You see, I'm getting better at knowing that I can't. I just look at it and go, no, I'm not going to ever do that. And the more I bother starting, very weird stuff. It is weird. It is weird. Uh, Tom Bickmore asks, I spent a good hour creating my husband and wife in Fallout Four. That's an interesting relationship you have there, but I'm not going to judge. And that's something I never do, says Tom. What are your stances on character creators? What are your favourites and least favourites? I got into trouble because I half when I started Bloodborne I half-heartedly made my fiance as my protagonist but I did like it, you know like <laughs> so it's like a bad cover version no dude it looks nothing like her oh, right, like right. And, it, and you know she's got glasses like she looks kind of dorky and but I was like eh, I'll just I'll do this with like a flavour of, of my fiance and right. uh, then I met unthinkingly she's in the room you mentioned it I was like oh, yeah, I tried to make you because I thought oh. that's, that's a sweet thing to do and mm. she saw it and was just like genuinely offended and then to get me back uh, and this was very efficient of her she made her character look like me but she spent some close to 55 minutes on it wow. and it looks exactly like me you know I used to make characters look like me uh, quite a lot and that's difficult for two reasons one was my hair when I used to have asymmetrical curly haircuts mm. I'm still amazed you don't get that in bloody hair like it annoys me that you have this North American bias in video games how you can always have like characters with like a buzz cut on the side because it's like very, you know you can get the whole fucking Seattle scene haircut <laughs> but like if you want to be like flock of seagulls like no chance it's like come on let's broaden your culture on haircuts well I mean it's the standard complaint that uh, you know like from uh, black gamers that like black hair what is, do you want an afro is, yeah, well like, yeah it's like you get you get one black yeah, haircut which yeah. I think is actually the case in Destiny yeah um, but you know but hey no one's telling the story of Matt Lees with his curly bouffant yeah so like, I can't get that and also the, the struggle it, is real uh, it's difficult to make my nose as well because I've got a slightly broken nose it is actually broken um, but it means it's quite difficult to get the kind of pointiness how right. do you break it again uh, I don't remember um, but I just I mean it's a big nose it's Street just bad, it just hits things you know? <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely at some point I hit it into something or somebody hit me I don't remember wow. I used to get into fights you know I was I was a uh, I was a, I've always been a man of, uh, uh, you know... Fights. No. A fight um, man. I've always been a man who doesn't like to compromise. Ah, uh, yes. That meant that when people would be, <laughs> be be saying things about me or behaving in a way I thought was wrong or trying to behave towards other people in a way I thought was wrong, I always stood up for it. Uh, and I, but I was a bad fighter. So, <laughs> so I'd always stand up for what I believed in and get beaten up. But that was fine. I think there's a there's a quote. I saw. I was reading this like rock and roll memoir, and uh, it was a guy. Like one of the questions for an interviewer was like, "Have you ever been in fights? How many fights have you been?" And the guy's like, "Oh man, look, I'm not going to tell you the answer, but what I will tell you is every single person who I've seen start a fight has lost it in my life." Yeah, I tell you what. No, my childhood was just more like uh, I also un- I didn't compromise, but when I didn't get my way, I just cried. And uh, yeah, it was I didn't break my nose. That's for sure. No, yeah, I just, I just at school I had a lot of fights, but it's fine because um, I think it was that that got me good at talking. Sure. When you need to talk about a fight, you can you just get good at talking and making people laugh. My then they won't hit you. Response to Tom Bickmore's question is that my favourite, or the the character creator I feel most fondly was uh, Eve Online's. Um, back okay. in, back in the day when it first came out, it had the most rigorous, impressive tech. Because I tell you, I mean the CCP know know they know their tech. 
And it was because it never had to render the face in anything other than like a portrait. Uh-huh. It had an incredibly rigorous character creator. So you could spend... Just draw a picture, basically. Uh, yeah, but with flesh, I guess. Anyway, so you might spend <laughs> forever on this uh, on this this face and then it's permanently locked behind and you you change the angle and you change the lighting you have like a whole lighting studio and then when you're done it's like snap and you get the photo and that photo appears next to your ship but like yeah until recently now you can walk around and the thing I find about character creators which I find a bit weird is sometimes they're just like I don't I don't know enough about the tone of the world right to make the character because it's the first thing you do often or like really early on Mm. so it's this thing of like with Fallout obviously it's fine you just think okay I'm just fucking both but often it's like (laughs) what sorry you say what fucking what I don't know like you tailed off there I just fucking save worlds yeah yeah, like I don't know with some RPGs you actually choose traits like with stuff like the first Dragon Age and maybe some new ones just like I'm a nobleman and stuff and it's almost like you want to get more of a feel for what your character is because then you can get an idea of what they look like. When often you do it so close in the, the, the period of where you're making a character that I just don't really care that much and I just go for something generic because it's almost like I don't care about the character yet so I don't care about what it looks like. Bloodborne's been the last game I actually spent ages making a weird character. Well, you for. knew it was going to be Because I know, but I, it was like the game was drenched in the tone already so I was like, I'm going to make it really creepy. Yeah, thing. yeah, you want to buy into it. There's nothing worse than spending an hour on character creation and taking your first steps into a world and realising it's garbage. Um... Oh crap! What was I going to say? But my favourite creator is—I'll just quickly say—is um, the one, uh, the me creator on the Nintendo Wii. Oh, <laughs> it's so simple, and it gave you so little to work with. But um, I was really good at making—I um, don't know why—but I was really good at making me's that look like people, like really like them. And um, I used to really enjoy that when I was at university. I just used to spend like ages just being a, like in, literally sitting in the front room, just looking at someone like a painter. They're just looking at someone's face and then tweaking the eyes, looking at someone's again, and just choosing this limited set of tools to make uh, like little tiny cartoon characters that looked uncannily alike the actual people. The uh, I I finally remember what I was going to say, and it's now coming late. But the thing about um, choosing like your character class at the start, I remember that I can't have been older than twelve, but it was an interview in PC Gamer with some veteran game designer. Um, when all games started with like, do you want to be a ranger or a warrior or a ma- or a mage? Like literally every single game, all of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was this designer, stable axe, coming down. Yeah, com- coming down from the mountain and saying, uh, I remember this exact quote. He said, "Don't make me fucking choose. I don't know anything about the game." And yeah. I read that as a t- as a twelve year old, and it was like still learning about game design when I was really young. But I was like. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> of course. You have no idea what you want to be. And, yeah, because uh, you've not tried it yet. Yeah, Pillars of Eternity being, like, awful for that, where it's like, do you want to be... Uh, which race do you want to be? What class do you want to be? Yeah, what traits do you want to be? That was kind of fascinating. Although I found, actually, after a few hours of that game, I started to actually be like, oh, so I'm this. It was only after about six yeah. hours. I was like, I'm one of these. It's not even an established trait. Yeah. It's like, do you want to be a, a rune singer? It's like, yeah. sure. Yeah. And it's quite nice the way all those little factions all, like exists in the world but you don't know at that point like, and no. that's why I kind of feel like actually character creators often I just like to be given a character and I've talked about in the past it's one of like reasons I like The Witcher I'd like to see more games like that where you just this is you like you're this character like and not just like your whatever face McFace. But I mean, Witcher also proves that there's still room for flexibility within that character. Like, my Geralt is going to be different from your Geralt. Yeah, I wish there was less in the third, actually. It kind of annoys me that, yeah, it gives you too many opportunities to be just a really nice man. But maybe he's getting old and, and soft. Yeah, but I, I like the fact that in the, the first few games, it just always tended to be slant between 
like, well, no, you still need to pay me. Well, Adam this Jensen, is my job. I think another great example of that is Adam Jensen, the um, uh, the protagonist from Deus Ex: Human Revolution, didn't who this. didn't ask for this. I was going to say it, um, <laughs> but no, he didn't ask for this, and he's grumpy. But, uh, but he'll do it anyway. Within that, he'll like, eat it anyway. That, that, that's what he ordered. It turns out that despite people making fun of that character for being so one dimensional, like I love the dimensions of that character, and like I had this whole internal monologue going in that game of like he didn't ask for this, right? Didn't he? No, he didn't ask for this. But uh, there's a point, and like I went through the whole game non-lethally. Uh, and wow. the, no, until I got Fuck to one you point, where, uh, you get to a um, a room, and then it's like basically loads of people surround the house to get you. Yeah, and uh, then they're like, oh, they're coming, they're breaking in, and at that point, my Adam Jensen was like, I didn't ask for this, but my God, if you try and kill me, yeah, I will use it. And I pivoted, went from non-lethal to lethal, and I love that in Mass Effect as well. And actually, what I don't like about Mass Effect is that Mass Effect rewarded you for sticking to one choice. Yeah, well, Deus Ex did game. as well, I'm sure. Like, and uh, no, Deus Ex was every decision was taken in a vacuum. Well, yeah, but I still think it I'm w- glad. I'm glad we're shifting away from that era of achievements of being like complete the game without killing anyone. Oh, and, sure, like, because it is like it's way more interesting from a character perspective to be somebody who doesn't kill somebody 99% of the time and then that no yeah but the one time you do yeah, then it's yeah, yeah absolutely like, play, that is play Mass Effect as a paragon for the whole thing and then that one point where you just straight up murder someone that's badass we're, we're, it's in Torchbearer the RPG system we're yeah, playing exactly. now it's, like, Torchbearer is a system where it says what does your character believe in and then you actually get experience for whenever you play against it Yeah, which no one has even done in our session but you're all looking at it being like yeah it's going to happen and again that's the thing I think I was literally thinking about Torchbearer when I was talking about this it's just that that is more interesting to me rather than being like kind of a, a consistent character who just always does the right thing or always like to have a character that no you don't like, like <laughs> yeah. you, there's going to come a point where you're going to go you go against who you are and I think the games often because they just don't have very good narrative don't don't make you do that yeah you are rewarded for sticking to one thing for the whole game which is dumb because actually that removes interesting decisions from the and I get to, actually The Witcher 3 does a pretty good job of making you unsure about that largely through its very grey situations I mean everyone's already talked about it but the bloody Baron quest line was quite early in the game is pretty good for that just because you don't really know what's going on and you keep having forming very strong opinions about it and being like oh I'm going to kill these people or I'm going to kill these people and then you learn something new and you go and you just end up being like oh, I don't fucking know like you end up being <laughs> quite unsure about really like who or what side you're on and that's cool like and you end up like sometimes having that wonderful situation of just inaction because you just you don't you know often games then make you make you choose but sometimes it's nice when games just go don't choose and it won't be like oh we didn't choose so we're gonna kill this guy like just leaving you unsure about whether or not you've what's going to happen oh completely 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 and we're in a golden age where people are fighting to learn those lessons it's all good yeah it's exciting times this was a good podcast I like this one yeah it had sex it had us being excited it had politics sex (laughs) politics and ratchet and clank and thanks to everyone who left us a five star review on iTunes after I told y'all to because you're great and you did it yeah and it's good stuff we do appreciate it and thank you just for listening Um, we've had a lot of people discovering the podcast quite recently um, I'm not sure why. I guess eventually people have realised it's not a podcast about Dark Souls. Um, but lots <laughs> or of people... maybe people are listening again because Dark Souls 3 is out and they're like, ah, <laughs> oh, listen to here's Dark the Souls, Souls podcast. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, why are they talking about all of this weird sex with Oh, horses? I really hope this is their first episode and it's me going, right, let's talk about breeding uh, cockatrices. <laughs> cockatrices riding around. Shit, I don't know if there's a cockatrice in the breeding game or if oh, they're, God, they've got about there's that, got really. to be one. I mean... It must be on the list of things to make, surely. I mean, it has to be. It writes itself. I'm going to go support their Patreon right now. 
so many <laughs> anyway uh, we should wrap it up there thank you so much for listening though we really do appreciate it and we'll see you next week for another episode we'll of see Dance you Souls. next week guys bye bye bye